Morning, everyone. That woke a couple of people up. <laughs> hey, you know, one of the reasons that I sit... No, there's actually a number of reasons why I sit towards the front. There's three. One is that the, uh, the seats at the front are nowhere near as worn out as the seats at the back. <laughs> and another reason is that um, it's closer to the front and some of my work is up here at the front. But... One of the reasons that struck me particularly this morning during that bracket of songs is the absolute joy that there is in being able to hear the sound of the congregation singing. And for those of you who are in these first half a dozen rows, I'm sure you would concur, just to hear the voices raised in praise to the Lord Jesus, that's pretty special. And uh, what a pleasure it is. So next week, front row, Choco. Let's see, let's see that happen. Some great, uh, some great news through the course of this week. Let me just highlight a couple of things before we come to our Bible reading this morning. Great team of uh, helpers yesterday who served lunch to some of our friends from Caravan and from Volker Court and around our neighbourhood from the, uh, from the houses, the units just here. Thank you, Kerry and the team. I named Kerry, but there was a number of folks who worked Friday, Saturday and some good stories that are coming out from that. A story Kerry was just sharing with me this morning of one of the guests who was here who said, we are so, I'm so thankful that you did this today because I'm just sitting in my place becoming more and more depressed. It's hard sometimes, Christmas, for, for some folks. There are times where we've lost loved ones or we're lonely or alone or whatever. But I was out today and uh, in amongst people where there was joy to be found and that's a great blessing. So... Uh, we thank you for those who've been praying and supporting that ministry. The other thing I wanted to mention too before we come to um, a reading from Luke this morning is in relation to Baptist World Aid Australia. Uh, Matt mentioned that we'll be receiving an offering on uh, Wednesday morning at our Christmas Day service. But over the past couple of months, for those of you who are regular amongst us, you will know that we have been doing a bit of a chicken run, if I could call it that, where we have promoted the idea of supporting needy families in Nepal and in Kenya with the purchase of uh, some chickens. And we started with a vision of how many chickens that we could kind of raise from amongst our congregation here, then we kind of raised it to here, and uh, even that vision was exceeded. And so well done, Wodonga and District Baptist Church. 256 chickens have been purchased, and uh, in addition to that... In addition to that, a hundred or so dollars for other projects uh, that has been given. So we're talking around about $5,200 for Baptist World Aid, which is significant. And significant in so much as those projects actually enable families to generate their own income and so provide for themselves into the future. So thank you so much. And a big um, shout out to our Kids Church team too, who uh, inspired so many of our children to give in Kids Church and then, as I noticed, um, drag their parents to the table out there in the floor and say, can I buy a chicken? So well done to those people. We're going to, to read this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Our reading is uh, clearly a reading around this Christmas season. It's not directly related to what I want to speak about this morning in the sense that we normally would do that but it does help set some of the scene for us today. And it's Luke chapter 1, verse 1. If you've got a Bible or a device there that you'd like to follow, 
please feel free to do. I'm going to read Luke 1, 1 to 20 and then uh, speak about some of the themes around Christmas. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke writes, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was chosen as priest before God to serve chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you for many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, which because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. It's a reading that reminds us that God's people, and Zechariah was one of those righteous people, were waiting for something special to happen for the coming of the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we too gather this morning as a people who gather in expectation, not waiting for the Messiah, for we believe that the Messiah has come. Jesus Christ, you have revealed yourself to us. But we come expecting today that you, by your Holy Spirit, will reveal new things of yourself to us. So, Lord, as we gather, challenge us, we pray, in our thoughts. Help us to see afresh from your word what you want to teach us today. Grow us, we are asked, to become more like Christ. Help us to perhaps challenge some of our presuppositions that we have about who Jesus is and what Jesus does and see you afresh, to behold you in all your fullness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I guess one of the things that many of us look forward to at Christmas time is the act of giving and receiving gifts, true? 
And even though, I guess, some of us perhaps sanctimoniously complain about the commercialisation of Christmas, it is kind of fun, isn't it, to be able to give things to others and to receive things from others too. And I don't know what traditions you have in your family, how that kind of works, but as I grew up, it worked a little bit like this. We would have a Christmas tree in our lounge room in the very early days. It was a living tree, one of those ones that Dad had procured somewhat fortuitously from the side of the road somewhere. (laughs) Uh, In later years, one of those uh, plastic replicas. And uh, in the days leading up to Christmas, it was just the tree. And my brother and I would eagerly anticipate Christmas morning when we would wake up having had an extraordinarily long sleep in as we were not inclined to do on Christmas Day and go out to the lounge room and behold all of the gifts that had been procured and placed under the tree. We were very blessed in that respect. But it was a period of dreadful waiting, let me tell you. It was a period that tested your patience even more so because there were some rules in the family about the time of day that you were not to be up at on Christmas morning and I guess some of you have probably been there and some of you are probably there right now. Good luck with that. (laughs) We've done it a little bit differently in our family. That was my family of origin experience. In our family we've done it a little bit differently. We've had uh, the tree and uh, the the, uh, plastic tree And we have, as a a sort of a custom, I don't know whether you'd call it a tradition or a habit, um, gradually put some presents under the tree. So even now, uh, less than a week out and and a week out from Christmas, there were already gifts appearing under the tree. And that is at once a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Because if you're a young person, even if you're not a young person, you kind of stroll by and you have a, have a surreptitious little look and you say, gee, I wonder who, oh, it's got my name on it. And the temptation, well, you know what the temptation is, don't you? The temptation is to walk away and, <laughs> and pay no attention whatsoever. The temptation actually is to take the present with your name on it and say, I wonder what that might be. I'm, I'm so, yes, that's right. Shake it a little bit to see if it rattles. It's not rattling. I'm so hoping for a soccer ball this Christmas. What do you think I might be getting? My expectations have been raised by the, the shape and the anonymity of this gift. I am looking forward to opening this on Christmas Day and the temptation might even go further than that. You might even quietly, (laughs) if you have access to sticky tape, you might even quietly just peel it back a little way and uh, this has been so carefully wrapped, uh, I'm not sure that I'm even going to be able to do this, but you might be able to peel it back just a little way and spy what's inside. Has anyone ever been tempted to do that? Probably. So imagine this year you are receiving a present like this. What do you imagine it might be? James? A vase. <laughs> Let me ask somebody sensible in the congregation. 
What do you think it might be? A Christmas pudding? That's a great guess, but it's not right either. Anybody else want to have a bit of a punt at what it might be? What do you reckon it is, Cohen? It could just be a so- I've hoped for a soccer ball this Christmas. I'm looking for a soccer ball. I'm hoping it's one of those nice coloured ones that you can get from Kmart or wherever they come from. So let's open it up and uh, we'll have a look. Let's just... Um, oh, look, I'll dispense with the niceties. Let's just share it. Look what I have... Look what I have received for Christmas. This... Uh, This soccer ball looks like it might have been kicked around by the Podmore boys for about five years. (laughs) Which, in fact, it has been. There is actually a bit of a funny story to the use of uh, this soccer ball. Um, Weeks ago, when I was preparing for this message, I said to Steve in the office, you wouldn't happen to have an old ball lying around at your place. You kind of live next to a park. And he said, no worries. The next day, he brought in the most weather-beaten looking soccer ball I've ever seen it was fantastic and so I took it home and I threw it in my trailer which sits out the front just to weather it a little bit more while I was out visiting um, Paul out there at um, uh, Colcairn there one day I said you wouldn't happen to have any old balls the girls have got lying around would you You know well worn and he said as a matter of fact there is an old netball looked like it had done you know 100 games I took that home I threw it into the trailer thinking I've got options now haven't I and uh, then a dear fellow from our church came and borrowed the trailer. <laughs> and he was helping, look, it was in good conscience, helping some folks move. And at the end, he had all this rubbish. He said, I'll help Dave, I'll get rid of these rubbishy old balls. <laughs> so they went to the tip, Paul, I'm so sorry. And girls, if you're looking for your soccer ball, uh, your netball, it's somewhere at the recycling centre under a pile of junk. So I had to go to option three. But here's the question, and it's a really interesting question. When you open a gift at Christmas time, what do you expect? You would not expect to receive something like this, would you? Even if, and uh, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, even if you have re-gifted something that you've received yourself, you don't give this kind of stuff, do you? I would open that uh, present expecting something new what were you expecting and the person who gave this to me might say well you asked for a ball it's a ball it's a perfectly good ball in fact uh, if I put a little bit more air in it it's probably got at least another year of work out of it Um, it's okay but I was expecting a new one and isn't that true Uh, when it comes to Christmas gifts we might have been expecting something fresh from the shops or something that is uh, at least unused and that I think is a reasonable sort of expectation so far as I'm concerned not many people would normally go around rummaging in their gardens looking for something they can give somebody for Christmas so here you go James you can have a crack at that one happy Christmas and I'm not sure whether the Podmore boys may just want it back afterwards so be aware of that you might want to re-gift it to them or something like that so here's the thing isn't it If uh, we go back to that illustration of the Christmas tree, if there are things under there that you are expecting, you do, you actually build up an expectation of what they are. You kind of anticipate, expect that you'll know what it is and normally those expectations are realised. Sometimes those expectations may not be realised. But if I had opened that 
present and it had turned out to be a jar or a vase, we might have been quite disappointed if I was expecting something else. And here's one of the dynamics that was at work in the time of the birth of Christ. Because we know from the testimony of the scriptures that the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah, for the deliverer that God had promised. Remember that they were living under the yoke of the oppression of the Romans. And so they were looking for a Messiah to come and deliver them. Throughout the Old Testament or in the Jewish sense, the scriptures that they had, because of course there was no Old or New Testament, there is something like 300 prophecies of the Messiah, 300 allusions to the coming of a saviour, a deliverer and there was quite some expectation built up on the part of the Jewish people in anticipation of that. They expected a warrior king, a mighty ruler who would trample down their enemies, a great political leader who would make their nation great, raise them up in the world, a Messiah who would be versed in the law, who would keep the law, who would observe the Sabbath, who would cause righteousness to arise, to do away with evil and to be a great judge. And then, of course, when Jesus was born, they didn't recognise him. Jesus came without any great fanfare. His birth was announced by angels, which is quite special, but rather curiously, the angels announced the, announced the birth to some shepherds out in a paddock somewhere. Jesus didn't come to a busy metropolis. He wasn't born in the power city of the world at the time. He was born in a tiny little village, an out-of-the-way kind of rural backwater, literally, in a country sandwiched between world powers under the oppression of Rome. He grew up in the humble home of a carpenter with his mother Mary and her husband Joseph for 30 years. He didn't do much out of the ordinary or anything particularly remarkable other than confound some of the Jewish teachers at the temple when he was there as a 12-year-old. He didn't gather around himself a great army, uh, take them into the bush to train them in, uh, in spiritual warfare or anything like that. When he started doing the work of God in public, it wasn't uncommon for him to do something like heal a person who was possessed a demon and then stop the demon from speaking. He gathered around him 12 misfits to make disciples of them. He broke the law on the Sabbath, he broke the law of the Sabbath rather, by healing the sick and upsetting the religious teachers to the point where they ended up foaming at the mouth because their law forbade any kind of work being done on the Sabbath. How could the Saviour, the Messiah, be like this? They asked. And in many respects, Jesus behaved in a totally unorthodox, unexpected, unpredictable way. As I've said before, on occasions, even when he healed people, he did the opposite to what they would expect. A person born blind, he healed with, with mud that he made out of spit, good grief. What kind of person does that? He touched unclean people. He ate in the house of tax collectors. And when he was arrested, he didn't fight. In fact, overall, you might say that although Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one of God, he behaved in a way that was almost completely opposite to what the Jewish people expected the Messiah to be like. And to this very day, many Jews would say, we haven't seen the Messiah yet. 
We don't recognise Christ as the Messiah. And why not? Well, because he doesn't meet our expectations. He hasn't realised the vision that we had for the Messiah. And even in his own day, and despite what Jesus did, there were times where his own disciples, although on occasions verbally verbally acknowledging him as the Messiah, were not altogether sure of what kind of Messiah he actually was. You might remember a couple of weeks ago when Roderick was speaking, he spoke about the fact that John the Baptist, when he was in prison, started to wonder, was he actually the Messiah? You know, are you the one was the message he sent or should we look for somebody else? And so the question that's worth reflecting on here, and I invite you to do this with me this morning, is this one. What kind of Jesus are we expecting? What kind of Messiah are we looking for? You see, it's very, very easy to criticise the people of Jesus' day for missing Jesus as the Messiah when he came, but the danger is just as real in our time because like them, one of the things that we do is actually construct or manufacture the kind of Jesus that we want. In fact, I want to put it to you this morning and invite you to reflect on this just for a few moments is that one of the great failures of our time is that we do exactly this with God all the time. You see, the Bible teaches us that we have been made in the image of God, but what we often do is remake God in our image. We create God to be what we want him to be. We reframe our understanding of who God is so that it kind of works better for us. A God who is uh, relatively non-interventionist, for instance, Uh, a God who kind of just sits out there available to us when we want him, a God who is pleased to see us in church but it's not much part of our lives for the rest of the week a God who acts in a manner that we find acceptable and not in a manner that would make us uncomfortable a God who doesn't make too many demands on us a God who we can kind of dial up when we need assistance but for the rest of the time let me look after myself a God who reveals himself in certain ways but not in other ways. There's a list that we could compile a mile long if we took the time, if we thought deeply enough about it, if we took time to reflect on it, and we all do it. We all reframe uh, who God is to suit ourselves. And there's a story back in Exodus, it's a story actually that's spread over a number of chapters in Exodus of, of how this happens and the psychology that sits behind it. It's found in Exodus chapter 20 through to chapter 32. For those of you who are familiar with the book of Exodus, you'll know the story of the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And as Moses was up there on the mountain, one of the things that God said to Moses was this, uh, a very clear instruction, do not make gods to be alongside me, do not make gods for yourself of silver or gold. That's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. Moses was there on the mountain receiving the law. And the people we know were down in the valley waiting and waiting and waiting. And just 10 chapters later, the people down there in the valley became a little impatient. They were wondering what had happened to Moses. They were starting to ask some questions. Where is this fellow? What's going on? What is happening up there? Where is God? What's, uh, what's the future looking like for us? And impatient with Moses and impatient with God, which is actually not an unfamiliar kind of emotion, is it? I don't know if you've ever sat in that place where you've been praying for the same thing for weeks, for months, for years, 
and it seems curious, it seems strange, it's troubling that God doesn't seem to answer and it potentially builds up an impatience in us, you know, well, if God's not going to answer, I'm just going to have to handle it myself. That's what the people said. Let's do it. Let's handle it ourselves. And so they went to Aaron, uh, Moses off Sinai. Interestingly enough, Aaron was mentioned here in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, for uh, Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. They went to Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. You see, we've run out of time for this one. We want ones that we can control. We want gods that we can see, that we can touch, that we can follow, that we can control, that we can manipulate, that we can have before us, a God who is present, a God who is tangible, one that we can engage with in a manner that we can uh, understand and be comfortable with. We want a God that we can put up there on the platform and say, there he is. And so the story unfolds. We know uh, what happens next. The people got together and they contributed their gold and jewellery and a golden calf was fashioned. A God that they could reach out and touch. A God that they could bow down and worship to. A God that they could manage. We don't know this for sure. There's some conjecture about this. It's possible that they actually fashioned this God out of wood first and then covered it with gold. We, I, I suggest that because later in the story when it all goes pear-shaped, they actually threw that God into the fire and it was burnt. So chances are it was made with wood. Chances are too, rather interestingly, that it was modelled on an Egyptian God, the bull Apis. And here is part of the psychology of recreating God in our own image too and it's not working for us we often look around at what others are doing and say oh well it seems to be working I'll do what that person's doing the Israelites in a sense looked back to Egypt and said well let's do what worked for them and perhaps we've been guilty of doing the same looking around and uh, and reshaping God as others have done before us as the story unfolds Moses came down from the mountain asked Aaron what on earth was going on. Aaron, interestingly enough, was very quick to blame the people. He said, they made me do it. And this is what happened. We collected up the gold and we threw it in the fire and guess what? Out came the bull. Extraordinary, isn't it? Can you just imagine? I'd love to have seen that conversation, you know. We just threw it in and out it came. Amazing. It's amusing, but it's also informative. Amusing in that it beggars belief that you can toss a handful of golden stuff into a fire and out pops a fully formed shape of a calf. It's, a, <laughs> it's actually a little bit... This, uh, this is just to provoke a couple of folks here. It's a bit like suggesting that this beautiful world with all of its intricacy and design and beautifulness just, just happened, you know? It just appeared like it evolved somehow from nothing. There you go. <laughs> you want to see the hand of God last Sunday uh, when Diana and I were on, on leave um, I was standing in a place I just looked around thought, man alive look at the beauty of what God has made just amazing beggar's belief that it could not be the hand of God 
which has created that. Here, Aaron's kind of using this explanation, but at a whole different level. We threw the gold into the ju- uh, and jewellery in the fire and out popped the cuff. Amusing, but informative. Informative because it challenges us with the realisation that uh, we shape the God we want to serve without even realising that we do it. It just happens. And it happens very easily. And one of the two, three of the reasons it happens very easily is if we ignore the whole counsel of God, if we focus perhaps on just our favourite passages or perhaps we don't dig right through the word at all, we start to shape our God diverse, or, uh, sorry, uh, divorced from what God has told us of himself and what he's revealed to us. It happens if we... Uh, ignore the biblical injunction to be part of a unified community of people who bless their hearts are the same as us and so different to us what a joy it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity the scripture says and it's part of God's design in revealing his character to us we don't fully appreciate God until we fully appreciate the community that God's called us to be part of And it can happen too if we start to focus on just one aspect of God's character or even, dare I say, one person of the Trinity. If we focus just on God the Father but never think about Jesus the Son or the reality of the Holy Spirit or in whatever order that might be. And it can happen too at Christmas time if we encounter Jesus in the cradle and we leave him there. And here perhaps is one of the challenges of our age too because... Uh, Christmas is very comfortable for a lot of people because Jesus is just a baby in the manger and babies are so kind of manageable, aren't they? Up to a certain age, you take them out, you put them back. You know where they are. You feed them, you water them, you do all that stuff. Uh, (laughs) Your imaginations are running wild. But catch the point, you know, if we confine Jesus to the cradle, we miss out. We miss out on so much. We miss out on the depth and brilliance of his teaching. We miss out on the confronting nature of what it means to walk in obedience to him. We miss out on understanding how his suffering translates into uh, the revelation of life for us. Christmas without the Bible, would lead us to believe that the baby in the manger is all that there is to Jesus. But the invitation this Christmas is to behold Jesus afresh. What a great theme that is. To behold Jesus afresh, to take another look at Jesus Christ. And to do that, as we conclude this morning, I'm going to turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through to verse 23. There's a lovely description of Jesus Christ. For it says, uh, Paul writes this, he's writing to people exalting the name, the person of Jesus, filling out the understanding of who Jesus is for those that he was writing to. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. He's the firstborn over all creation. He was before anything else. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. What a magnificent 
an exalting verse that is. Everything that has been created has been made by Christ. Verse 17, there's some dynamite in this verse. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I'd love to have the opportunity one day to preach on that verse because, you know, we live in times where people are increasingly anxious about the future. They look at the world and say, goodness me, what's happening in our environment, our climate, all these things. And even people in the church become nervous about all these things. And yet this verse says, and it's worth coming back to it from time to time, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus actually has it in his hands. He's not going to let go. He's not going to fail us. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For here's the great news of the gospel, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's a snapshot of Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 21, Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the good news, the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What great news that is. The full revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who came as an infant, the one who came as our Saviour. I'm going to pray and I want to invite you this morning as we pray just to, to close your eyes for a few moments and to reflect on what I've just been saying, to reflect on the manner in which we do, and we all do this, reshape God in our image, form up a, a picture or a, an expectation of who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, who Jesus impacts, what Jesus does, uh, which is not necessarily biblical, not necessarily true to the revelation we have here from the scripture and invite God in that moment to challenge you to consider what needs correction. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for your word this morning, for the scriptures that uh, reveal you to us. We thank you for uh, the books from Genesis to Revelation that tell us who you are and what you are like and what your plan has been to reconcile us who were once enemies in our mind to you. And Lord, this morning we come with hearts that would want to confess there are times when we have reshaped you in our image, when we have come with expectations of the manner in which you should answer our prayers or you should act in certain situations where we have started to believe that what you have done is just for us and there's some truth in that, Lord, in so much as your salvation is a personal gift. But you've called us to be people in a community too. Lord, we would confess there are times where we have failed to appropriate the fullness of who you are, failed to understand all there is of who you are 
and what you've revealed to us. Lord, give to us, we pray, an enlarged vision of your work, your call, your character. Help us today, we pray, to gaze upon Christ in the cradle and allow our gaze to be carried to the cross and beyond the cross to the consummation of the work that you are doing, calling people to yourself. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, at Christmas time we can remember your birth, but we're not confined to that. We look beyond that. We celebrate that. We thank you that you came and lived amongst us. But we thank you too for the grace, for your love and your salvation that we have experienced in our lives. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we glorify you now and pray this in your name. Amen.